Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Dan Monroe. Dan is a confidence coach and the director of the Inspirational Lifestyle and the founder of Brojo, a community focused on developing confident, authentic, and valuable people. He is the author of Nothing to Lose and the number one bestseller, The Legendary Life. Can you tell me a little bit about your background, the work you do with your two companies, why you wrote your books, just how you got into confidence coaching and self-development? Yeah, well, it all started with working on myself uh, quite extensively for a long time. I mean, my whole life is based being a people pleaser and without knowing that that was a thing to be, you know, it's just who I was constantly trying to make people like me, trying to be approved of, trying to win everything all the time. And um, yeah, about the age of 25, I think it was, I read the book No More Mr. Nice Guy. And reading that book was like getting punched in the face. It was it was me. That book was like written about me. It was ridiculous. And that's when I realized I'd kind of been doing everything in a way that was, I guess, wrong is the only word to use. So I was doing everything wrong, and I wanted to change that. So next five or years or so after that was just spent on me trying to start over again, to live life in a different way and to figure out what confidence was and how it was created and what it was, where it came from, and especially in the social realm. And uh, at the same time, I'd been rehabilitating criminal offenders as a probation officer, which is kind of like coaching, except the guys don't want to work with you most of the time. And um, so eventually it kind of came to a head where I'm doing a lot of self-development stuff alone by myself. And I'm working at helping other people make breakthroughs of their own. And I realized I like the combination of that. I like working on myself and helping others to do this same that led me to write the book the first book uh the legendary life uh just because i wanted to get my ideas down on paper i wanted to figure out what it was that i had done over the last five years and how it worked and what worked and what didn't and then i lent that book out to a couple of people to get some feedback and they wanted to talk to me about it and the first coaching sessions happened that way and just kind of naturally evolved from there that's awesome and that's a great book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. We did a podcast with uh, Dr. Glover a few years ago, and it really resonates with guys who find that they're, and they might not realize they're doing it, but they're constantly seeking the validation of those around them and suppressing themselves. Was that the part that you resonated with, or was there another element of that book that you resonated with? Oh, all of it and more. I mean, for me, the key element was this kind of constant performance. I'm, I'm kind of naturally extroverted, which means I was an approval seeker. I'd put on a show to make people like me. Um, I, I mean, one of the things that led me into was the whole pickup artist thing. I kind of liked the idea of putting on a show to make girls like me in particular. And what really resonated with me in the book was that all my strategy, the reasons why I was putting on this performance was hidden from people. People didn't know that I was manipulating them. I mean, I, 
I didn't even know I was manipulating them. And and that didn't sit well with me. You know, that was the bit that resonated with me, with, with me the most was I realized that with this people-pleasing, like making people laugh and all these things that I used to do, I was essentially, it was a strategy, a trick designed to force people to like uh, performance that I was putting on, which wasn't the real me in any sense. It was kind of a, a moderated version of me. And it just, it all just felt really scammy once it was pointed out to me just how sneaky this is. It was very underhanded. And it was funny because my whole life I'd prided myself on being a decent, honest person without realizing just how fucking dishonest I was all the time. And that was the part of the book that hit me the most was I don't want to live a lie. I don't want people to like me if they're liking something that I made up and it's not even me in the first place. You know, so that's that was my kind of big crisis moment after reading that book was I don't like the way I'm being. I don't want to be that guy. Uh, so I had to figure out who I did want to be. And that was, you know, that was the beginning. Did that awareness create a sense of guilt within you? I think it more like it shone light on guilt that had been there the whole time. You know, this it was weird because you read the book and it's it's in, in one sense, it's a massive insight. But in the other, it's nothing new. You know you've been performing this whole time. You know you've been desperate for approval and, and love this whole time. And, and it just kind of calls it out. And the guilt, you know, what I came to realize ultimately was that all my low self-worth that I had been experiencing my whole life, the constant stress and frustration, anxiety I had in social situations, all of that was related back to this this lack of integrity. I wasn't proud of the way I was behaving. And that's where all these feelings were coming from. You know, it really came to a head. I actually, um, when I was going through my pickup phase, I actually met a woman in a bar and took her home. And we are home in my bed. And I came to the suddenly realization that, like, everything I had done to get her back to my house had been a performance. It had been bullshit. And I just felt really guilty. I was like, this is... This is so uncool. Like, she's here with a guy that she thinks exists who doesn't actually exist. I made him up. And uh, I don't want her to be here for that reason. Like, if, if a girl's going to be in my bed, I want it to be because she knows who I am and she likes that, not because I managed to trick her, you know? And so I had a lot of – that was a huge crisis moment for me. I had a lot of guilt in that moment. I actually slept on the floor that night, and she got the bed. And, um, yeah, from that day onwards, I was like, like, nah, if this is going to happen, it has to be more honest somehow, you know? And that's that's what I've been working on ever since, essentially, is trying to figure out how can how can I live more honestly in a way that, of course, is um, respectful of the real world and interacts with the real world in an effective way. It's funny, I have all these sort of different thoughts that are flowing through my mind. Um, one, I think that it's a great story, and... I think it's really important that that as human beings, we learn to live sort of with integrity and honesty. I know for myself, one of the things that has really brought peace to my life is mindfulness and learning not to react to the past or uh, the future or like sort of projections of I want, but just to be when you get rid of the past and the future, you're just you're just present. And that opens up sort of this, it's just like a whole new world. It's just like uh, if you haven't experienced it and and so you're not reacting to things you're not imagining 
the way that you look across the room. You're not contriving and making shit up. So I thought about that. The other thing I thought about was, I guess it's going to be a philosophical debate and I don't even really have an opinion on it, but I had a conversation recently with a friend of mine who we were talking about acting and, and Jim Carrey. And um, I guess Jim Carrey's got some theories on like every single aspect of our life as a performance. And so again, I don't really have an opinion on this. I was just sort of thinking about it. And, and I tried to think about the things you were saying through that lens. And I started to wonder if if that was true, then was the narrative that you felt that you were out of balance or you felt that you were being inauthentic, that was that the, the internal friction. And now the newer narrative that you're connecting to, which is now that you are in congruence, that's what's sort of driving. And I, I don't know, it's sort of, I'm playing around with these thoughts in my mind as I process. I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of these things. No, no, I really, uh, I think you're hitting a lot of key points there. You know, I, what really stands out to me is my old life, as I think of it, before I kind of discovered the concept of honesty and started applying it, was just filled with chronic anxiety, just worrying all the time, worrying. And if I wasn't worrying, I was regressing, you know? So I was, I was constantly, like you say, I wasn't present. I was either about the future that hadn't happened yet, trying to solve problems that didn't exist. Or I was about the past, wishing that things had gone differently, another impossible pursuit. And what I've found is that, you know, those were narratives. Like you say, there's the future me that I wanted to be and a past me that I wish I hadn't been rather than me now, which wasn't even a thing, like, which is really Jim Carrey philosophy stuff. You know, I watched a bit of his stuff. It seems to be what he's saying. But I think the point I, I was coming to really was that honesty or you know consistent honesty which is my definition of integrity honesty you know constantly being used over time it keeps you here and now because all you're ever talking about is like what is as far as you know not what could be or what has been um and in a more practical sense it meant that everything was kind of spontaneous and unique like in the past i used to tell the same stories the same way every time because i knew it could get a laugh or i knew it would make someone like me and then I shifted to this more honest thing where I'd start telling a story and I didn't even know how it was going to go. You know, it, it would be much more interesting to me for me to speak because I didn't know how I was going to end up finishing whatever I started saying. Even like I'm noticing it right now as I talk to you, I'm watching myself speak and I don't know where I'm going with this. And I love that. Whereas before, like if we'd done this podcast 10 years ago, I would have scripted it. You know, I would have been so prepared to say the best possible things that would make you and whoever's listening like me the most, you know, and kind of hit all the whatever, the key points. And it was just exhausting to live like that. Um, and, and, and like you said, it, it brought up a lot of guilt for me. It's like, why do I have to keep tricking people? And why do I, why am I not good enough just ever as I am? I mean, every time I use dishonesty in some form to make someone like me, I'm devaluing myself. So no wonder I've got this fucking not good enough story running through my head and this anxiety all the time. Like I don't trust myself. I haven't given myself any chance to exist sort of thing. Um, so, it, I mean, it can get a bit too uh, philosophical, I guess, is the word. We start wondering, like, am I anything at all? But what I really came to was I can just speak my mind. And that's like the most thrilling thing in the world to do. And I'd been missing out on it my whole life because I was 
so focused on trying to make people like me with what I said, you know, and it was a, it's a huge shift. It's, it feels like you're taking a huge risk that everyone's going to hate you and the world will come crashing down. But fuck, it's just so much more rewarding to live this way than the way I was living anyway. I agree. I mean, I've definitely gone through phases of that. So I can, I can relate. And I remember when I first started coaching and started to develop a name for myself, I would find that um, I would walk into Union Square in New York City and people would be recording me. And not in a paranoid, weird type of way. Like, I, I know <laughs> they were recording me because they knew who I was. And, I, and so it would like, it created this like new level of self consciousness. And that took a while to work through and because it creates new sets of fear. I, I had gone from this point where I was uninhibited to I had started becoming inhibited and conscious. It's like uh, whether you're religious or not, taking from old stories like uh, the story of like Adam and Eve becoming conscious of their nakedness, right? I had become conscious of myself. And I have a good friend of mine who's a singer and he said that he claims that a lot of singers start self-destructing when they become self-conscious. That happens a lot of times as people, they start off and they sing and they're uninhibited and they have these beautiful voices and then they become more and more self-conscious about their voice and they begin to self-destruct and resort to using drugs and alcohol. And he's more in that world than I probably will ever be, but I found it absolutely fascinating. But I really get what you're saying when you talk about this idea of attempting to sort of think about the future. I mean, I I had mentioned that and reacting to the past and and the bravery that's involved in being present and aware and not controlling um, the future. I was doing a meditation the other day. I use this app called Calm. I also use another app called Headspace. And the girl was proposing uh, what would happen if uh, you didn't try to control things. And, and I think it relates directly back to the things that you're saying. It takes uh, some sense of bravery and can be scary, but it also feels very alive. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. Exactly it. You know, it's the giving up of control. Uh, you know, nice guy syndrome, people pleasing, whatever you want to call it, it's control. That's what, what it is. It's a, an attempt to control the future of your interaction with somebody, future of your relationship, future of your reputation. And you know, I've done, I've done, uh, I've been in a band for a long time, and uh, and I've done performance dancing. And your love for the music or your love for the dance just goes right out the fucking window as soon as you have to perform. You know, and it like as soon as it's going to be judged and as soon as like it has to go well and, and as soon as you're trying to control how it ends up being perceived, you lose all enjoyment of it. And, you know, it, it really applies socially like that self-consciousness. If you one of the things that I did, right, was I realized that I spoke so differently to my best friends than I did to like strangers or people I was attracted to or, or people I saw as highest status than me or whatever. I thought, well, that's weird. Why do I speak differently to those different groups of people? So I started observing how I was with my best friends, and I started observing how other people are with their best friends. And anybody who's around their best friend is an interesting, unique, spontaneous, you know, lovable person, at least to certain people. And yet when they get in front of someone that they're trying to control the outcome with, they turn into something else, something usually quite unattractive and creepy and awkward. And I noticed that, and I thought, thought shit if these people just treat everyone like they're in a conversation with their best friend where it doesn't matter where it goes and there's no outcome that's required it's just be here and now that would actually do really well socially and that's the way i see it as well like you know 
I loved your example before. Once people start recording you, all of a sudden you're very conscious of how you speak and how you look and how you're being represented. And as soon as that self-consciousness kicks in, you're going to feel an urge to try and control whatever the possible outcome could be, to try and come across a certain way, uh, to impress people perhaps, to convince people even, to help people. That can even be a lot of pressure. And it changes what you were doing, which was very helpful and impressive. You know, it's been amazing to me how many times I'll see someone like, I'll see someone dancing, they're an amazing dancer, until they have to compete, and then they just fall to pieces. And you're like, dude, I know you're good at this, so what happened? Well, what happened was that they tried to control how they were perceived, and it just threw them off. You know, if they if they didn't know they were being watched, they would have been brilliant. And there's just there's something to that, and I think, that's why I keep harping back to honesty. Honesty is a way of letting go of that control. And that's why it's so terrifying and, and so courageous to do. If I'm honest with someone, I'm letting go of my ability to control how they see me. You know, I'm giving them like the raw sensitive information. They can do whatever they want with that. I've kind of, I've put my reputation in their hands. It's, it's a very, it, when I first started doing it, it was fucking scary. Like just telling someone why I'll, was talking to them like the real reason or telling them the insecurities i didn't want them to know things that i never told anyone it felt very vulnerable and it felt like they were going to use it against me and the funny thing was as soon as it came out i realized they couldn't use it against me because i was okay with it being out but um yeah i totally get that sense of self-consciousness i went through a big phase where i just felt very raw and naked like everything about me was on show which was what i was doing on purpose but it didn't make it any easier <laughs> you know it still felt like uh yeah like running down the street naked while everyone's laughing yeah there's a few things there that um i thought about one is judgment is part of the way that we create hierarchies right because that creates fear and it creates expectations but oftentimes whether it's your family structure, you, you, you think your parents have certain expectations or the teacher has expectations and they're in a position to judge you. But like that creates hierarchies and it's sort of the eradication, judgment, acceptance that actually brings people closer together and makes them feel comfortable. So that's sort of one one thing that I I thought about in that first step is accepting yourself, right? And life is full of traumas. It's full of uh, things that are going to come up and as a habit. We have to sort of create a practice where we're constantly cleaning these things out, even if we don't necessarily have something going on right now that um, is sort of creating th these internal conflicts. Like it's sort of preparation for when something does. It's like working out and getting in really good shape and you might not have to use those muscles every day but then, or, or use that your cardio capacity every day. But when you do, um, it's there. And so it's, you're building sort of that capacity. So I thought about that. I thought about the dance example that you used and the idea of how judgment creates that, right? Like I'm getting ready for a competition or I'm getting in front of an audience. People have the same problem with public speaking. I'm getting from a group and now everybody's judging me. When they feel like they're being judged either by themselves or the people around them, or, and when I say themselves, by the expectations of what they think they're going to do or the, their past experiences, you lose the ability to fully express yourself. And the space in your mind sort of like shrinks and you lose creativity and you lose spontaneity and you lose all these things that you talk about. You lose full expression. And that's this really shitty way to go through life. And 
I've definitely had moments of that <laughs> in my life or periods of time and and understanding that was a massive realization. So I thought about that um, as you were talking and I want to share that because I think if somebody's listening to this and they're going through that internal chatter, that internal dialogue of judgment or the judgment around them or their judgment, their past or, or expectations for the future, whatever they're reacting and they're, it's fear, right? Like it's this fear that um, we begin to develop that we aren't going to be accepted, that we're not going to live up to our own expectations or the people around us. Uh, but like letting all that go just creates an incredible amount of peace and it opens up amazing opportunities and capacities that oftentimes we don't know are there. I mean, earlier you were saying you don't trust yourself. And I, yeah, I went through a period where I always thought I had really good instincts and I stopped trusting my instincts. And once I got back to sort of creating peace, like an internal peace, I could trust my instincts again. And I found that I was just randomly talking to people everywhere I went I didn't really give a fuck what anybody thought about me I didn't really care and part of that was also learning and you talked about this earlier um, in one way without getting into too much detail I had to learn to stop compartmentalizing things I had sort of like said you know I'll deal with this later or I don't want to deal with this right now this I can't handle so I started putting things in boxes internally and as a consequence of that eventually like all those fucking critters in those boxes come climbing out like it became over overwhelming and I, I had to sort of learn to not give a fuck really I don't know does any of this resonate with you yeah you know it it all comes back to a, a central concept that I look at all the time which I just put under the banner of shame you know the sense there's something wrong with you and and what I came to realize is it's kind of something you, you, you touched on before in any given moment, especially with social interaction, you have to choose between honesty and strategy. They can't really coexist. So I can't use honesty to make someone like me. I can just be honest and they'll choose whether or not they like me. As soon as I'm using anything to make someone like me, I'm now in the strategy space. And certain bits of honesty will need to be sacrificed for that. I'll have to hide certain things that I think will, you know, fuck up my strategy and make them like me less or whatever. And it's such a weight to bear. And it's, you know, that's why the compartmentalizing has to happen. You don't want to see yourself as a dishonest, manipulative person. So you have to put some things in boxes away from other things in boxes so that realizations don't happen. And I think, you know, the concept of shame, which is what I realize is every time I don't express myself, that's me rejecting me. And here I am so worried about other people rejecting me. When in fact, nobody has ever hurt me with a rejection. There was a key moment I realized, you know, I asked myself, when don't I care about being rejected? When don't I care when someone doesn't like me? I thought about some examples, like if some random three-year-old kid doesn't like me, I don't give a fuck. And I thought, well, what's the difference? Why is it I don't care that the little kid doesn't like me, but I do care that my boss doesn't like me, or I do care that that pretty girl doesn't like me? What's the difference? And I realize it's because when I find out the little kid doesn't like me, there's no story in my head that says, yeah, because you're a fucking loser. It just says, oh, some kid doesn't like me. It doesn't care that the kid doesn't like me. But when my boss doesn't like me, this voice in my head kicks off saying, yeah, well, it's because you're not working hard enough and it's because you're not smart enough and it's because you're not his favorite. And I'm like, well, he didn't say that stuff to me. I said that stuff to me. That's where the rejection's happening. And so I, I came to realize that there's a, 
there's a kind of formula here. Whereas if I said all the stuff, if I gave myself the credit to express myself, no matter what the consequences might be, then I validate myself. There's no rejection happening internally. Like I'm allowed to speak. You know, I'm allowed to be. And when I started doing that more and more, then other people's rejections became less and less important to me. And, and as well as other people's acceptance, you know, that kind of, <laughs> you mentioned it before, you know, I was on this mission. I'm like, how do I get to that point where I really don't give a fuck what people will think of me? Because that just sounded like such a blissful place to be. And it was just, you know, ruining my life, constantly worrying and mind reading and trying to control things. And I realized, well, the only way I can not give a fuck what other people think about me is if that space is entirely filled with approval from myself. If I've got all the approval I need from me, then I don't, there's no hole to be filled. If anybody else takes away their approval, I haven't lost anything. And then that's when I realized, well, the, the space that's, you know, the hole that's created where I feel like I need someone else to say, you're a good boy, I like you, was, was actually started by me holding myself back. Every time I didn't say what I wanted to say, I was saying that I'm not good enough. I'm saying that what I want to say isn't worthy. And I'd been doing that my whole fucking life. I'd spent my whole life holding myself back, holding what I really wanted to say back. So I'm basically getting rejected like 50 times a day by myself. Of course, I'm going to feel like shit if I do that, you know? And the reason I knew that that theory was at least true for me is when I started being really honest all the time, that sense of worry about what other people think of me just went away and it just stopped it stopped mattering like i find out someone doesn't like me i'd be like oh well, good for them hope they find someone they do like because i already got my fill from myself kind of thing it's kind of it's, it's it's it can be a little bit hard to explain sometimes but i always try to simplify it back to this concept where that whole not good enough self-consciousness feeling it originally started with you moderating yourself you know you reject what you wanted to say that's kind of like the beginning point or at least it's a good place to start dating coach chris Luna here this is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life first listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through soundcloud itunes or stitcher this way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release if you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchristmas.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma Live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. I mean, I think it's great, the, the things that you're sharing, because I I feel like a lot of people who are listening to it will be able to relate. I mean, there's definitely things there that I can connect with on a very human level. And when you talked about the judgment of the kid and not caring, but the judgment of the boss and the judgment of like a pretty girl, I think there's also something else that's happening there. I think with the 
and you can tell me if you you agree or disagree when you're in a situation where you're with your boss there's not only this sort of internal net narrative but there's this worry that if this person rejects me that it's going to be a threat to my livelihood and that causes us to do things that we wouldn't do if there wasn't a threat to our livelihood or that or that power dynamic didn't exist in the example of the pretty girl the girl rejects you well now that's sort of a threat to again there's this hierarchy because in that case a guy might be putting a girl on a pedestal thinking you know look how beautiful she is i want her and then when he gets rejected he feels like he's forced to recognize the fact that it's a threat to the way that he sees himself right and so that that anxiety was there that fear was there and who knows why she rejected him maybe she's dating somebody or she has a boyfriend or maybe she's like running to a meeting or maybe she has her own issues that she's dealing with who knows but i think what happens is guys start it often will make a man question their narrative he tells himself and in both cases they're attached to this like future past reaction stuff right because if you lost the job because you told your boss how you really feel then fuck it like if you're a capable man you'll find another job and you'll find another way to, to make a living if you're atta- too attached to sort of like some future idea of some girl you randomly met like again like it's it's a sort of a reflection sorry that feeling of of self-worth tied to that is like tied to like this future as opposed to what you're saying i really like that you like i am or i'm being i'm just going to be honest or i'm just going to be truthful or i'm just going to say the truth or i'm just going to uh, be direct right like that presentness um is so powerful and so my next question well one i'm curious if you have any sort of thoughts on the things i'm sharing or my observations and the second thing is actually a question and that's if somebody wants to develop this skill set the things that we're talking about or the things that you're sharing more specifically they're really resonating with somebody who's listening how do they start picking up these skill sets so that they can live a fuller more real more honest life yeah well good question i think we can tie this all together as well like cuz that's the old ultimate question and the answer is how do we make this actually practical how does somebody go and do this on a tuesday afternoon as i always think of it how can we make it real and and i think actually um based on what you were saying like reflecting on what you were saying just then you know the difference between the three-year-old and the boss is that perception of three the three-year-old's got nothing i need if they don't like me i'm fine you know um but the boss could take away my job my income i end up homeless there's this narrative in your head where i'm actually threatened by honesty and I'm going to choose safety over honesty. And it's the same thing with the pretty girl. I, I would rather you know, live with the fantasy that she might like me than be shattered by the reality that she doesn't. And there's this kind of choice of safety all the time, which brings us to the practical element of this. I, my second book that I wrote was called Nothing to Lose because I realized that the concept of not giving a fuck is this idea where you're so complete that there's nothing you can lose so you never have to sacrifice yourself for anything not even a job not even income not even the approval not even friends nothing you don't have to ever sacrifice your integrity that was the ideal and i thought well what i realized is over the five years or so that i'd started consciously working on this i was slowly in one piece of my life at a time building up this kind of nothing to lose tolerance i was willing to lose things you know it started for me very socially i'd go and be honest with my friends but i'd do so knowing that i'm willing to lose them 
Because if they're going to leave me because I'm being honest, then they're never really good friends for me to have in the first place. It's a good idea that I lose them. The same with a job. You know, If I'm being honest in the workplace and that costs me my job, then I'm lucky to get fired because that place is obviously not right for me and I need the, the space and the, the sort of uh, the push that comes from being jobless to find something better. Now, this mindset is easy enough to talk about, but it's very hard to act on because it's so scary. So what I recommend in terms of practical application is you choose one area of your life where you're most willing to let some risks take place. You know, I always think of those sort of four areas, health, wealth, relationships, psychology. You choose one area and you go, I'm going to go take some calculated risks where I'm going to go choose honest expression over whatever the outcome is that I'm trying to keep. I'm going to go and see if being honest makes me lose things, but in a controlled way. You're kind of building up to this. So maybe uh, let's say you're scared of rejection from people. Just going around being honest with people until they don't like you anymore. And just doing that until it no longer bothers you. You know, starting very small, not pushing yourself to do it all day long so you end up having like, I don't know, some sort of anxiety disorder, but just a little bit every day where you just let go of something and choose honesty instead. And what you're doing is you're building up a practice where you're willing to lose something, something important externally, uh, to prioritize who you are, your integrity. And it's kind of like a self-validation thing. I always think of this like, uh, it's like self-respect. If somebody offered me money to compromise my values, to say no to that money, is a huge pat on the back to myself. My neediness wants that money. But when I say no to it, I'm saying that I'm better than that money. You know, I'm better than that person's approval. I'm, I'm better than these instant gratifications that I'm so desperate for. The idea being is, so like I'll be coaching a guy and we get into the concept of being more honest. And what usually happens is he goes overboard. So I'll get like a, a screenshot that he sent. He's like, oh, I sent this to the girl that I like. And it's like this novel of everything that's ever been true about him. It's like, whoa. What I realize is honesty is done one piece at a time. I think about it like playing tennis. Let's say I want to be more honest with my boss. What I'll do is I'll go and say one thing that's a bit more confrontational, that thing I've been holding back, that thing I wanted to say last Tuesday at the meeting but didn't say, whatever it is, this one thing. And then I'll take all off obligation off myself to say anything more. I'll just say that one thing and let him react. And I actually did this in my, I used to work in a government job, you know, or I was a probation officer, and I was getting really frustrated with the bureaucracy. There's a lot of things they were doing that were just so political and schemy, and I just wanted people to do the right thing. And I'd been holding this all in because I was kind of playing the political game uh, with the managers. And then one time at a meeting, I just stood up and I just said one thing. It was just one thing that had been burning my ass for fucking ages. And I just said it, and I just sat back down. And that was it. I just gave it one thing. And it was so funny because afterwards, I don't think it actually made a difference. Whatever it was I said didn't change things. But I just felt so much better for having got that off my chest. And I was able to see that it didn't cost me my job, which was enough to give me a bit more uh, kind of confidence, you might say, to try it again at the next meeting. Say a little bit more. We'll be a bit more honest with, with my boss next time we had a coffee together. And I just started adding these pieces. You know, there was this, uh, oh, there's one moment I got to share because it just 
stands out in my mind is this kind of time where I felt like I'd kind of graduated from people pleasing, even though you never really get fully rid of it. I was in this, uh, I was in the lunchroom and there was a table of people. I was cooking my rice or whatever the fuck. And there was a table of people and they were gossiping about someone who wasn't in the room. And I've always had a problem with gossip, but I never spoken up about it. It's such an awkward thing to like challenge people on. It's like a whole group and you're the only one. But I heard them gossiping. I thought, nah, this is one of those moments where I'm holding back what I really want to say. And it's important that I say it. So I just said something. I can't remember exactly how I said it, but I was just like, come on, guys. You know, that person's not in the room. I'm pretty sure you guys wouldn't have the balls to say it if he was. So maybe it's not cool that you're saying it now. And it was just just this absolute death silence that we all dread. You know, everyone just staring at me, you know. Um, and I just thought, oh, shit. This is the thing I've always, you know, um, been afraid would happen. But then they all started going bright red. And then they started apologizing and mumbling. And I realized, shit, I've just called them out on something they're not proud of. I'm seeing embarrassment right now. I'm not seeing, they're not angry at me. They just realized that they didn't like being the gossipers either. And at that moment, I mean, it took 30 seconds for me to do this. But I was flying high for like two weeks after that. It was such an achievement for me to have the courage to risk like being ostracized by the whole group. Now, I have no doubt whatsoever that after I left the room, the next person to be gossiped about was me. But it didn't matter because I had just given myself like full validation in that moment. I walked away like trying not to like grin my face off. And that's that's how it starts. It's these little moments where you wouldn't usually say it because you're trying not to risk something and you just go fuck it and you just risk it just a little bit i mean most of the time if you do make a mess you can clean it up you don't have to like dive into like brutal ruthless honesty non-stop you can take it one piece at a time until you become more comfortable with it and i've been doing that for years now i'm constantly looking for that next little piece um but i find i can be sort of i don't know if i'm being truthful probably about 80 to 90% of the time, what I'm saying is probably honest. And that's so much more rewarding than the 10 to 20% of the time that I used to be, you know, uh, that I used to express honesty. So I don't know if that helps people take it practical, but that's kind of how I did it. I think it's great. There's a few things that come to my mind. One is when you're, you've been suppressing a lot of things, or if a human being has been suppressing a lot of things and they start exploring this idea, I'm going to be like brutally honest. They have, there's a tendency to puke up all the things that you're suppressing <laughs> and it can, it can be a little overboard. And then that reaction can cause people to go back into themselves or other people take that reaction and that becomes sort of a new type of emotional shield that they utilize. And, uh, then they run around and do that because it, like it gives them some other sort of type of dopamine hit. But I, I think this is a really important point. Which leads to the next part is you're like, if I'm honest with myself, uh, 80%, right? Because it's it would be awesome if you can be completely transparent all the time. Um, and I think that's a, sort of a good place to aim for. But life is complicated. And, and there's some level of validation that is essential for human groups to function. Like if you like don't like the, the way that your 
best friend smells or something or like you could you could tell him to wear deodorant or, or you could tell him to do whatever but if that just might be the way he smells and like um you, you tolerate it or you just attack him all the time for it or if you don't like the way somebody somebody speaks like they have a little bit of an accent that you don't like or who knows and there's something that you don't like about the way they speak do you just like attack them all that or do you accept it right and like i think the deeper places to get to the point where you can sort of accept it but that doesn't mean that you need to accept every single thing in the world as it is right but i think that there is like some form of validation seeking that's like that is essential and and i've watched people go to the, the extreme where they're like i'm totally not gonna be outcome dependent and then they couldn't connect with anybody i get this every once in a while with my clients and you'll get some guy who comes in and he's acting like sort of so stereotypical alpha that he's like literally not connecting with anybody. He's like, I don't know. I've slept with 150 girls. I can't figure out why I can't get a girlfriend. And, um, he's like, he's created that emotional shield where, um, there, there's in the, in New York city, I'm going off a little bit of a tangent in New York city. Uh, we have a museum, the uh, metropolitan museum of art, the Met, and there's some statues in there of these, like these African statues and they have these spikes sticking out of them and i remember going through there with my literature teacher from college um a few years after i dropped out of school and, and we'd become really close through our conversations like in class and after class and so we stayed in touch and she took me there and she goes you know what the deal with all these spikes are and i said no she goes well they're, they're supposed to represent all the traumas that we acquire over the course of our life and oftentimes we end up using them to protect ourselves and it's a it's a difficult process to begin to file down those spikes or to let go of them and remove them so you can continue to be open and vulnerable. But I, I thought it was an interesting point that you brought up. Like, uh, what what is that right line? I don't know. I think you want to strive for authenticity and being real and vulnerable and, and accepting the people around you. But it's a practice, right? And some level of validation from the people around you and love and like some of that is is absolutely needed to keep human beings together at least in my opinion and so i'm curious what your thoughts are on that and there's one other thing i wanted to say is this idea of being bold and being different and, and you talked about sort of these calculated risks you're like okay well i'm going to test this much right i'm going to test this much line i'm going to test this much i'm going to try to do this one thing and see how people react is a very thoughtful way of sort of approaching this but it's also the beginning in certain ways of of emotional leadership Right. In the sense that like you're no longer being contained by the people around you and as a part of this gossip, like you're telling them how you feel and and now they're reacting. I could see how people could turn this into a power trip, but like they're now reacting to the fact that you're being real and authentic, right? Like you're it feels good for you, but it's also it's the beginning of leadership. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, you know, this is um I mean, what we're talking about near, here is what I consider to be the, the frontier of my work is where honesty hits the road sort of thing, where it meets real life resistance and challenges and struggles. And I think the first thing to begin with is to understand honesty is an art, not a science. I mean, the truth is so philosophically subjective anyway that honesty is always going to be an individual's experience. It's There's never going to be a rule book on what honesty is that everyone can follow. And it has to be each person's own individual process of figuring out what honesty is for them. One of the things I, I found is, you know, some people, like, they get into that ruthless, almost psychopathic 
um, form of like brutal honesty, and it actually becomes a shield. So they use honesty to keep people at a distance. And again, that's using honesty. It's a strategic use of honesty to protect yourself as opposed to like bold, vulnerable honesty, which has no purpose other than to express yourself. What I think of is, this is why I've got this thing I call the 3X model, which is made up of three values. Honesty is one. The other two are respect and curiosity. Now, the respect one's really important because while I'm going to be honest, I'm also going to allow other people to live. I'm going to allow them to express themselves. I'm going to allow them to be what they are. So let's say, you know, the classic one is my friend smells really bad. I might say it once so that I'm being honest. But from there on out, he's allowed to smell however the fuck he wants. And I've already said my piece, so it's on him now. I'm not going to give him shit every time he smells. So I kind of draw a line at some point or like, look, I've said the thing that was on my mind and I'm not going to try and control him. You know, honesty is actually a lot easier to understand when you stop trying to use it to get something. Like just because I'm honest with you doesn't mean you have to agree with me. I don't need to convince you of something. I don't need to change the direction of where you're going with your life. I just need to say it for my own benefit. And curiosity is involved in around like before you say something, are you so sure that it's true? Like, uh, and people can overdo this where they try to like get so philosophical with the truth that they don't have to say anything. But I'm thinking more like, let's say I'm concerned that you smell. Is that actually the most important truth I've got to speak right now? You know, and, and a lot of the times, no, it's not. I've got better things to say that are better representatives of what I think is truthful and important to me. And this is just an art. I have to decide for myself in the moment what's truthful, what's respectful, how do I be more curious about what's truthful. And the only kind of rule I apply, which is don't speak dishonestly. Like I might not have the courage or the certainty needed to say what I want to say, but if that's the case, then I'll just remain silent rather than tell a lie or say something that might be honest, but is essentially a form of misdirection. I'd rather just keep my mouth shut if I don't have the balls to say what I really want to say. And they, again, this is just contextual, moment by moment. Um, but the people here, yeah, one thing that people use to get out of being honest, ugh, it annoys me so much when I'm having debates, is they're what I call extreme hypotheticals. They'll be like, well, what if someone asked me for my credit card details? I'm like, well, don't give it to them. Do we really need to have this discussion? And they're trying to use this as a way to find a, a an exception to where honesty wouldn't work so that they can then talk themselves into believing that they never have to be honest. You know, and, and it's like, no, this, let's, let's apply it to real life, right? You've got a friend, they've got bad body odor, and you're building up resentment. It's actually becoming a sticking point for your friendship. That means you've got to say it. Okay. No, you don't have to give the stranger your credit card details or, but you do have to tell your friend that he smells if it's bothering you so much that you're building up a hidden resentment about him. Or you do need to tell that girl at your work that you're attracted to her if it's driving you crazy and you have to be fake around her all the time. You have to make these decisions. And like we were saying, I think before, to build up to this is start at the lower levels rather than puking it all out and like going berserk. Choose one thing today that you're going to push the boundaries with and be a little bit more honest about and just that one thing and then go back to status quo until you've recovered from it 
and tomorrow it's another thing until there's nothing left on the list of things that you really need to get out. That's kind of the approach I recommend people take. This is absolutely awesome. Um, we're sort of running short on time. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And if you're listening to this, you want to learn more about Dan and some of the things that he's doing, his books, his podcasts, his coaching, we're going to put some descriptions in this podcast so that you can learn about him more easily. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Oh, no, I love it, mate. I could talk about this stuff for years, you know. You have to get me to shut up. It's dating coach Chris Thoney here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.